What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Awesome Hazelnuts here. And do check out my Twitch stream for more Legends of Runeterra related content. I do know I've not been streaming a lot of Runeterra lately. You guys tuned in and see me play Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. I know it's kind of funny, but I do try to publicize and say that I play Runeterra. But don't worry, don't worry guys, I'll be back to playing Runeterra after the season ends. I try to be a little bit try-hard, trying to hit the top 20 master ladder before I actually want to stream again. Because now it's high stakes poker, we all want to qualify for Worlds, right? And so like I mentioned this week, we have a special guest today. It is none other than Katy Y. He is a Legends from Terra streamer like myself. We both play in the Southeast Asia region. In fact, when I first started streaming the game, he was one of the few people who actually read me and then we talk about it. And there was actually one time which I discovered him was when I was playing a game on a ladder. And then someone was, I think it was Kalamitas, he was saying, oh, this guy is another streamer. And then immediately after my game, I would hop onto his chat and then I saw him and that's how we got the thing going. Then ever since that day, we started talking and all that. And now he's on my podcast. So, hello, Katy. How are you, man? Hey, guys. I'm Katy Y. I'm doing good. Very, very good. Yeah, man. Actually, one of the most important questions is that I remember when I first started playing Legends from Terra about a year ago, I remember there was a Discord group. It was the Southeast Asia Legends from Terra uh, Discord um, group. Remember that one? Yeah, I, I think do, yeah. there was, yeah, there was one such Discord group. And that was when I, I knew that you were streaming Runeterra at the time. But then I was more of a player. I didn't really interact too much with Discord groups and all that. It was only about the end of last year where I started dabbling to Discord groups and everything. Yeah, because most of the time when we just play the game, we don't really interact much with the groups. But then I saw that you were like posting YouTube contents and eventually I found out about your stream. So, so yeah, that's the most, that was one of the reasons why I, I found out about you. But before that, I heard about you a little bit. I'd like to know like, how you got into LR, man. Uh, I used to play a lot of uh, card games before, you know, Hearthstone and uh, Shadowverse. But you usually just play it without creating content, you know? Just playing it uh, as a hobby. So when I saw, when I heard uh, the Riot Games, they are making this game. And then I saw some streamer playing it as a, during close beta, right? Yes. I uh, Oh yeah, before this I also played a little bit of an Artifact. You remember that oh, game? Oh yes, I played Artifact a little bit. It was, I would mm. say, one of the games where it required a higher skill cap compared to other yeah, card games. I would exactly. say, yes. It really required super high yeah. skill cap. Because when you think about Artifact, it's not just one board, it's three boards. And it was the time where, when I played it, right, I could win one lane, but I couldn't win all three. I think you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played a lot of games. Like, um, there's a lot of strategy involving like sacrificing some of your... Uh, like lanes, it's, it's called lanes in that game, right? Correct. But yeah, during lanes. the time, um, Artifact was very famous. I played a lot of Artifacts and then slowly dying away. <laughs> and then we heard Riot is making this uh, card game. It uh, it combines all the strength from all the games of the market, including like Hearthstone, like uh, Artifact, and what else? The uh, Magic the Gathering. Yes, MTG. It combines all the strings together and create this master, uh, this this Frankenstein monster, which is very fun. And I saw people playing on Steam, uh, on streaming, on Twitch. And it's like, oh, this game is very, very nice. And then I tried to get into close beta, and I did get into close, close beta, and I started playing. That's how I get into the game. Yeah, actually, that's around like, because that's the thing, because I didn't get into close beta for Legends of Runeterra. Because right. for Singapore... They they released earlier. I would say that the global release was end of April, right? If I'm not mistaken, and then uh, something something yeah, like that, right? Something. The close beta was, if I'm not mistaken, it was the end of last no end of last last year, right? 
around it was around the end like uh, October to December of 2019 uh, yes I remember that time and then I I don't remember players at that time were saying that a lot more cards were more OP back then and what we were, <laughs> what we were playing now is basically kindergarten cards I, I do remember a couple of players talking about that line and then I remember when I first got into it because I I believe at the time around end of March start of April was when Singapore got the early release for Legends from Terra it was yep. the only country that was given the early release. And then we hopped yep. to the server, right? And I remember there yep. was maybe less than 80 players in the master ladder. If I'm not mistaken, there were very little players at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you were there as well, right? You were playing on SMS I was server. there. Yeah, you were I one of the there. first few players who, who were there as well. In fact, at the time, right, there was basically just the same few people queuing against each other. And the queue <laughs> time was incredibly long. And from then all the way until now, right, it just feels that the game has changed so much. Yeah, it changed a lot. Yeah, man. And then and that's the, that's the thing. If you guys don't know who's Cappy Y, right? He's a guy who builds decks. In <laughs> fact, yeah, basically when whenever you hop onto his stream, he'll be building something new. And as for myself, I used to build decks when I play Yu-Gi-Oh! I did mention this a lot of times in my podcast. When it comes to building decks, I used to be super innovative when it came to Yu-Gi-Oh!, I think it comes with when you're younger, you tend to experiment more. But then when you get a little bit older, you just want to play. You want you just want to play what works. You just want to win. And when, I think it yeah. depends on what kind of mindset you're talking about, right? Yeah, correct. Because when you look at grinding ladder, right, you just want to win, right? It's not so much about creating decks. You get what I mean? It's True. just you just want to win, win, win. When it comes to <laughs> building decks, right? I would say it tends to favor players who are more moving towards the content creation kind of line. They will just think about you know, creating decks and then win or lose doesn't matter because they create a concept and then eventually somebody would refine it and make it tier one. And I remember that you were one of the players who were actually building decks at the time. Like every time I tuned your stream, it was always a brand new deck, brand new concept. And that was <laughs> actually quite refreshing. Yeah, so... Right. Yeah, that's the thing, man. Why, why, why do you like creating decks? That's a very important thing because for me, right, I just sort of don't want to make new decks. I just play what works and that's about it. Hmm... I just like to experiment with cards that don't see much play, you know? I'm not necessarily like, you know, uh, trying to be hipster and then you know, I like to play like tier 4, tier 5 decks all the time, you know? I actually prefer more about finding uh, hidden treasure, if you, if you get what I mean. Yeah, correct. I, I build decks, but I don't build decks just for fun. I actually try to make some uh, other play cards viable. So, for example, I remember when Bilge Water was first introduced, right? Yeah. Yeah, the public release of the game. Mm. And earlier stage of the game, yeah, I remember the meta deck was Agro Burn. Is that correct? Champless Burn or something like that, right? Without any Yeah, champions. and then Johnny oh, is yes. one of the first new release champions. And she was deemed unplayable. <laughs> totally yes. unplayable. Yes, unplayable. But I played a lot of Sajuani. I played a lot of Sajuani. And I actually brought Swain Sajuani to a tournament. I believe it was a... Do's of Rintera or something. And then, after the first balance patch, Sajuani quickly rise into uh, tier 1. Not the, uh, what was it called? Sajuani. The Turbo Sajuani, right? The misfortune with Sajuani together with Nap, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. It quickly rose, in, rose into uh, tier 1 deck. Yeah, and tier that's one. what I try to do, you know? I play all those uh, underplayed cards, try to make them viable. Yeah, and, and the, the funny thing about the Sojourney patch was that it was not only just Turbo Sojourney. I, I believe that 
Sejuani started being included into Ash. Because at the time, Ash was being played on its own. And then they added Sejuani and they realised that this deck alone could beat every other mid-range deck. And that really? was the, It becomes yeah, remember, meta mid-range deck. Yeah, correct. And the thing about Ash is that since 2020, all the way into 2021, right, it, was, it was never really overpowered. I would say that as a concept, the entire Ash thing is very balanced. Oh, you mean the uh, mid-range as a journey, right? Yeah, the as a journey. It felt very balanced. Because when you look at a oh. lot of the decks in the pool, right, it just seems right. sometimes they're over the top. It's like they're super insane, super crazy. They just blow out and they win. Hymer Vitus, <laughs> then there's uh, the Darrowing. Yeah. And then, I, okay, I remember there was one super polarizing deck that dominated everything. If I'm not mistaken, mm. it was... Hold on. Wait, let's not talk about Azir and Relia. We'll talk about that later. But there was one deck which really polarized everything that made everything just revolve around that one deck. I think it was Ezreal Karma. Which period? Ezreal Karma, around last year. Uh, yeah, Ezreal Karma is one, and there is also a rise of... Um... There was one deck we are missing about. I remember there was one deck that everybody just played, played it, and then... What is that five-cost five, five cost champion from PSZ again? Hold on, I... Is it? It's not Corina. It's definitely not Corina control. Yeah, I think we might be missing um, out one deck. But I remember there was one one concept which everybody was playing, and then it became sort of the the be all and all deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then we'll check we, it out. We'll get into that it's, later. Uh, it's uh, I believe it's Heimerdinger. It was Heimerdinger. Uh, Heimervai, right? Yes. Yeah, Heimervai. Yeah, Heimervai. Heimervai was the one. So was the one deck which answered basically every single deck in the pool, and that made yeah. like deck building really hard. Like. During that time when Heimervai was in the meta, what were you playing, man? Uh, Heimervai was on meta. Wow, it's very difficult to uh, <laughs> remember this because I play all sorts of decks. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. And then, okay, let, let me just jog you through your memory, man. So, we talk about deck building, right? Because today's episode is about deck building, uh, basically, back, back, deck building from 2020 all the way to now, 2021. Right. I'd like to ask you, what is the biggest difference between deck building last year and deck building today? Uh, well, a lot of things have changed, but uh, I think the most important difference in terms of deck building between last year and this year, right? It's like the uh, archetype didn't really exist back then, yeah? Correct. The Riot, for, the Riot actually introduced a bunch of cards. It was, um, it was up to us to find out which card does well in which deck last year or during close beta. Like, for example, uh, hey, here's Karma, you know? He has a champion, and this is a card effect. Mm. We players tried all kind of combinations and uh, slowly settled down with Ezreal for the wanted kill combo, right? And then later on, Karma also, we, we also found out Karma worked very well with uh, Lutz. It's a very nice combination there. But overall, there's no explicit way of telling, like, Karma belongs to which archetype, you know? Correct. It's like, I'm not saying archetype is bad, like, Spider archetype is very fun, actually. Yes. But starting from starting from the introduction of Butchwater, we slowly see a lot of uh, archetypes being introduced between combination of two regions. It get it just get more and more and more. Like for example, like uh, between Shadow Isle and uh, Butchwater. Yes, I it remember. It was uh, Nautilus and Maokai, right? Ah, yeah, the the sea monster, ah, right? It was when the first time they created a way. To, to play a certain mm. way of Butchwater. But somehow, Candy, yeah. it didn't work. Nobody wanted to play Deep. 
<laughs> and then it happens to, and then they they also introduced Soraka and Tamkesh, which is another combination, right? Ah, it, by the way, you know Soraka Tamkesh wasn't a concept created by players. Eh? It was created by the devs because they introduced like, uh, remember the labs? They introduced different yeah, ways yeah, of yeah, playing yeah. landmarks. That's exactly my point, right? Ah, it's like Warriors started to introduce a lot of like combination between. Damn, you're making sense, man. Yeah, you're making sense. Yeah. And then like LeBlanc Severe also is like when you see the two champions that are supposed to be played together uh, and the reputation archetype too belongs right. to the two region. And then now we got the uh, the infamous Arelia <laughs> Azir, right? Correct. That that just so so for for so far, it's just that there isn't really much involvement in terms of deck building nowadays. You're just getting an archetype from the uh, for the developers. And then what we do is we find the ratio of how many cards we should play here or Take away there. That's it. Wow. Actually, I've never really thought about that viewpoint. Because I do notice, right, the, the first, I would say first three decks that dominated the meta. The first one was, uh, remember the Hecarim, the old school Hecarim, the very powerful Hecarim? You mean the uh, Hecarim Rally? Yes, the Hecarim Rally. If not, it's the, the elusive Hecarim uh, thingy with a Green Blade Duo together with a Deny. The Shadow Owls plus Ionia. The very old oh, school one, February March of uh, 2020. Yep. Remember that yeah, deck? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah, basically yeah, yeah. my first deck in Legends of Runeterra. At that time, <laughs> right, that deck was not an archetype. It was just a bunch of really good cards put together. You got Deny, you got Harrowing, you got Ruination, you got Hecarim, you got Zed. It was basically a bunch of really powerful cards put together. And that was when... Uh, what's that card called? Mark of the Owls together with Shadow Mark. That was the ultimate combo. You basically drop uh, Dark Water Scourge. And then, most of the time, your opponent's pretty pepega. At the time, there were not a lot of high-level plays, so you could easily do death mark to transfer your ephemera to opponent's side. So it, re- it really makes sense what you say about the archetype thing, because when it comes to the ephemera mid-range or the elusive ephemera deck, it didn't feel like an archetype deck. It just felt like a deck where players who, who came from other card games, they first hop onto on Legends of Terra, they turn on the game, they got the cards, and they realized, wow, why not I pair together Ionia and Shadow Owls? They got the best champions, they got the best support, and we make it work. And then came along Ezreal Kama. Same concept. The best cat, best cards together, we put it together. Ezreal, we put Kama, and it worked. Because Kama, like you said, it was just, it was not a archetype specific kind of card. It is a card which generates a lot of special stuff. And the same yeah. can be said about Heimer Vi as well, right? It was just yeah. three Heimer together with 37 supporting cards. And the deck yeah. became basically the strongest deck that ever was. <laughs> and then now today, right, like you mentioned the archetype thing, because I never really thought about that point. The archetype thing is basically Riot create this specific type of card, specifically reputation, and then you just find a way to find the right balance and the deck just sort of work. I believe that the archetype thing was, is something that they learned, right, after watching Deep fail. Because there was a time where Deep was not even played at all, and then they nerfed it to the ground, and now Deep is sort of playable again. But then all of a sudden, the archetype thing that you mentioned, people are starting to run the reputation... And then now there's the king of archetype, which is the Azir Irelia, the token attacks thing. And that's why, yeah. yeah, the main thing is that the deck building, the main thing about deck building that has changed is the, in 2020, right, it felt more natural. It felt like players were just putting, players in the past were putting decks together, making decks. It seems, it felt like, uh, it's more organic, I would say, the word is. Yes, organic. It's like when the developer gives us a lot of, uh, they give us a lot of cuts, they weren't thinking about uh, they, they, they didn't have a plan about, okay, this card is supposed to go with that deck, you know? 
there wasn't this. There was like introduce a good uh, a bunch of uh, interesting cards, and I then see. just let the player to explore. Well, I, I kind of it's like in twenty twenty one. It's like that, that kind of feeling is already long gone. Mm. What would you say is the expansion that really made the archetype thing go over a whole new level? Which expansion do you think it was? Uh, I would say start. It has a sign actually all the way back to Bilge Water because we have deep right. Mm, correct. Otherwise, I would say everything goes really, really crazy. Started from Targon. Yes, Targon. The Aso. When Aso, no, actually Aso was fine. It was Zoe, right? I think Zoe is the one that really. Yeah, when Zoe starts introducing, uh, when Zoe comes in the pool, and then they started to put Zoe together with uh, Lee Sin. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that's where we started to have top meta decks. It was starting from Lee Sin. And then they introduced the uh, KDA cards, right? And then we have Gohart. Oh boy, Gohart with Feel the Rush. Unfortunately, yeah, the other and, three cards no one plays. And it, then right? go they, it, it, it just spiral all the way down. It spiral all the way down. Gohart it gets into the TF. Uh, what's that called? The TF Gohart, right? The together with uh, the TF Gohart into TF uh, Feast. Oh, TF Feast. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are the problems. It's like okay, they have a bunch of really really good cards that belong to each other. They put the put together. I wouldn't say Gohard, it's uh, it belongs to this category though. Gohard is a very nice deck building there. Correct. But Actually, other than that, you know, it's like Riot introduced this archetype, you play this archetype. Yes. <laughs> I, I got a feeling that the Gohard thing, right, was not meant to become the the, the version of Gohard which dominated the like, meta from December all the way to January. Is it January or February? I think it's yeah, January. I believe right. that the uh, the Gohard right, was meant to be something like a controlish kind of playstyle. But then, as you know, as you look at card games, there's always a bunch of players who find a way to optimize decks. And then somehow, oh. players put Twisted Fate and Elise together. And then they put Ledros. It's just basically the same way that they built Ezreal Karma, same way that they built Heimervai. It's a, just yeah. a concept. They put the cards together. Eventually, players from all over the world find a minus one, plus one here and there. And then all of a sudden, we got ourselves a tier one deck. Because if you remember <laughs> Cathy, right? When Heimer Vi was tier 1, there were not a lot of complaints. Because when it comes to Heimer Vi, the, the win rate was not crazy. It was basically sitting about 52-53% win rate. It wasn't super polarizing like Heimer Vi wins every game. Because yeah. I do know that you also can feel when you play against a Heimer Vi, right? Sometimes the player doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> then they just go out of spell mana. Then they just sort of just... It's the same thing as Ezreal Karma and Heimer Vi. Some players will just... Mm. You know, they never think about the mana, they overcommit, they never think about keeping deny and all that, and they just blow and lose. But then when it came to oh, Gohart, right, the Gohart thing was crazy. It was when I started to notice, even myself, even a lot of players that I know, they started saying the same thing. Wow, this game is starting to get boring. Remember that the line just came out when Gohart, <laughs> yep. Gohart became tier 1. It was started with uh, all the KDA cards, I would say. Yeah, correct. And it was like one week before seasonals, right? The Gohart thing came out. Yep. And then all of a sudden, together with Feel the Rush, the entire seasonals <laughs> meta changed to basically Feel the Rush plus a Gohart deck. And I believe that became like the tournament winning lineup for most participants at that time. And that was the, the I would say the beginning of deck building starting to take a back seat when it comes to that. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Because it, uh, it's when... Whenever there's a really, really strong deck on top meta, and on tier 1, right? And if that deck counters a lot of different decks, like straight up just hard counter, it will limit a lot of deck building choice. It will kind of become like a, like a the whole meta 
shaped around that particular deck, like right now, you know? Mm. Yeah, uh, but uh, still, there, yeah. there, there wasn't that much complaint regarding Heimer and uh, Karma Israel, and even though like Gohan has a small complaint, right? They all have the, some sort of a similarities, which makes them not as oppressive as something we have right now. Which, the first point is that they actually require a lot of skills to play, right? Yes. The skill ceiling is high. You actually need to understand the deck. You also need to understand, we always say that before, but we don't say that anymore right now, the matchup. Mm. Right? We don't say that anymore. It's like, if you play Arena Azir, you just play. You don't care about matchup. You, you do what you do. Wow. Actually, so if the, if, the, if the deck is difficult to pilot, have a, a, a lot of rooms of error, and even though if you play perfectly, you won't be like 100% win if you, even if you, if you do everything correctly. So that's mm. still okay. But right. the second thing is the consistency of the deck concept. If it's way too consistent, it's never good. You know? Wow, actually, now that you mentioned about the consistency part and the deck just doing what it does, right? It applies to the two decks which have a high win rate, high win rate while having a high play rate. TFEs and now Azir Irelia. Because yeah. when you think about TFEs, right, it's just the player jamming a couple of cards and they just win. They don't care who you're facing. They just basically flood the board and just win. And and then some players like to argue and say, no, 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 uh, TFEs requires a little bit of skill. You need to think about how to play around this, play around that. But you do have to understand that TFEs along with Azir Irelia, they, you are in the driver's seat. Your opponent has to react to you. And if they can't react, they just lose. And that's, that's why yeah. you mentioned the part about the go hard together with the Ezreal Karma together with Heimavai, it requires skill cap. You It requires you to actually think through what you're going to do to end the game. Because it's cool to what spam spells to get minions, spam <laughs> spells to get infinite advantage. But then when you play those decks, right, sometimes it comes to a point where you're like, oh, oh shit, I ran out of mana, I don't have mana for deny, and I just lost. And by the way, Nopify didn't exist back then. So <laughs> deny oh, yeah. was the only way of stopping something. And then... Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Sometimes you tap out, you just lose. But then when it comes to TFEs, right? Because everything costs so little. Bubblefish costs zero mana when it comes to a certain point. TF is un- infinite draws. And then when TF levels up, sometimes it's just autopilot at that point. Azir Arena, like you mentioned, doesn't matter who you're facing. If your opponent doesn't have a way to react to what you're going to do, you just lose. Every other deck requires yeah. some form of interaction. And that's why I say that 2021 deck building and 2020 deck building is really come down to this. Basically, the archetype thing. You're just dealing around a certain certain number of cards. Yep. So so I got one thing to ask you, man. When it comes to that, right, it also falls along the line of remember when I remember when you were building decks or one couple of your streams, and then it came down to this one card which changed everything. It became one one full loop where everything just builds around these two cards. I think you know what these two cards are. You should let me make a guess. I'm not sure about that. Aphelios and Field Temple. Oh, during that. All right. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Cause the yeah, thing, yeah because it, it was, it was, uh, it's like starting from somewhere there, right? TFAs, Aphelios. Yes. That was uh, where I, we started to feel that uh, your place doesn't matter anymore. Mm. You know that? It just totally depends on what your opponent do. If they do it right, they do it nice, they have a nice card draw, it, there's just simply nothing much you can do if your deck doesn't have a proper counter to their combo. Correct. The, the so I, I remember I remember when Aphelios was uh, on top meta. That's where I started to play 
a lot lesser, I would say. Yes, because when you think about it, right, deck building became just a Aphelios deck. It just became a Veiled Temple deck. Before yeah. before Veiled Temple and before Aphelios, I would say that Targon as a deck, right, was mainly played as a late game jamming machine. It was just basically you invoking, you reaching turn 8, turn 9, and you win the game. But then when Aphelios and Veiled Temple came out, together with Zoe, Zoe was not really the catalyst for it, but I would say that Aphelios really made Targon become the mid-range monster, mid-range Targon monster. And when you think about it, right, Targon has a couple of good mid-range invokes, like the Warrior, the Twin Sisters, but then Veiled Temple really takes the cake. It really pushed a lot of Targon strategies like, to tier 1. And that was when, when you build decks, right? People just include three Aphelios and three Veiled Temple. Veiled Temple. Yeah. Because Aphelios with Crescendum, right, can just spawn a two-drop from your deck. Basically, yeah. right, you don't need to mulligan it. All you gotta do is mulligan for Aphelios, and you gotta keep Veiled Temple in your hand. And when it comes to mirror matches, right, it just became so ridiculous. Basically, it's just Aphelios versus Aphelios. Whoever has Aphelios and Temple yep. wins. And whoever doesn't have Veiled Temple, but they have one piece... <laughs> it's going to be whoever has the two-piece card which wins the games. And that also, was they found a way to use the Crescendon to summon Boxtopus. I remember yeah, that. I remember when they... I, I believe it was J01, the Korean player who was always ranked 1. He found a way to cheese it because I remember there were players who were talking about Field Temple. They were saying something along the lines of uh, how are we going to make Crescendon work? And then he just suggested why not we spawn Boxtopus from the deck. And then all of a sudden, Bilge Water, right? Twist the Fate. Perfect. And that was how... <laughs> deck building change forever. You could no longer run a mid-range deck, right, without getting outvalued by Veiled Temple and Aphelios. That was how ridiculous it was already. Yep, too much value. I, I, I remember you were saying that uh, the game revolved around value now. It was no longer like the big the big late game champions or the big late game cards where you played to like close out the games. The whole, the whole, deck, whole point of deck building now is basically pound for pound, cost for card, effect for effect, best cards that can be played from turn 1 to turn 5 and you snowball and win. Uh, I would say when, when during that time when Targon, Targon was very popular, I have this feeling that it's more like uh, like they have infinite value going on. Correct. It's just like Targon would never run out of value. Mm. Like uh, what is it called? The five uh, five mana spell. I would remember. Star shaping. Yeah, star shaping. shaping. You see that? Like it bursts and then it heals five and then it give you a card. It's like you will never run out of value with that. Correct, and, and he doesn't just give you any card, he gives you a late game Targon card, something with yeah. 7 cost plus, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I believe it's, I believe so, yeah. yeah. It's insane. And when you think about late game finishes and a lot of deck building things in the past, even from different card games, you always want to have like a 8 cost card or like a 9 cost card, something which can close out the game. But for Targon, right, they don't necessarily have to build the late game card in the deck, apart from ASO, which is their champion. They can just pack in star shaping, they pack in the, the invoke the random invokes, and they can just grab themselves the great beyond, which is a spell yeah. shield, a elusive, a, a, <laughs> a super card in one, which really made the mid-range Targon decks really good. Because when you think about if you're not running ASO, their deck building is very simple, which really made me just look at the deck and think, okay, it's just another Great Beyond plus Atrocity deck. When you think about it, it's, that's what Targon deck building has become. If you're not running Veiled Temple, you're running Atrocity, which is a Shadow House package. You just run, what, 38 <laughs> Targon cards with 2 Atrocity? You just invoke into Great Beyond and you instantly win the game. Because it's Spell Shield together with the high attack. And that's about it. 
and no one really runs like super power late game cards anymore because of the Targon engine. And with now, Azir, I realized there's no even a need for late game cards anymore because the cards <laughs> just spawn out. What, 8 damage, 12 damage with 1 mana? <laughs> yeah, at some point, it's like, uh, card value doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. So actually, I got one question for you. In your opinion, right, what is the best meta in LOR from last year all the way until now? Uh, I think a lot of people will agree that the uh, the second patch since Bridgewater launch is the best meta, which is the Sajuani meta. Sajuani meta, right? The one with the most variance. It was, what, Ezreal Twister Fate as well in the pool? Uh, I think so, yes. That was the, that was the meta for... A lot of things can be done, and then a lot of uh, tier 2, tier 3 decks, they are still very viable. It's like not necessarily like tier 2 means like garbage, you know? And there was a lot of uh, pocket strategy too, like a lot of Rook decks. Like uh, They don't belong to meta lists because they are not very much played, but they are still all very viable. I think that was the, that was the best meta so far, I'd say. It was the golden age of Legends of Terra. Where any deck could I would work. say so, yeah. I think a lot of people agree with that. It's because like for this kind of card games, right? It will um always be in the sense that if there's a mid-range deck being good and starting to like we have a mid-range meta, the game will become very enjoyable. If it's a if it's like if it's a aggro aggro deck, it's very oppressive. Like right now we have a very, very strong aggressive decks. The game become too fast, and there's nothing much you can do about it. And if it's uh like if the control decks are way too strong, like all the they can store very effectively, and then they are high end, their win con is so easy to achieve. Then nothing you do matters too, right? Yeah, actually, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you still need to have like a sort of like a mid range deck meta in order for the for the game to be fun. Yes, I really agree with you on the mid range point because. On a lot of my episodes, right, I always say that the epitome of card games is not you just playing with yourself, which is basically Yu-Gi-Oh, where you combo yourself and you just win. The, yeah. the epitome of card games, right, is when you and your opponent stare each other. You both try to do like Yami Yugi and Seto Kaiba. You just want to outplay <laughs> each other. That's the mid-range meta, where there's always an answer to every play, which is something yeah, like, which everything card, is games, card games, right? The whole point is yeah. you, I drop this, any response? No. Then when you attack, I have a response. This is basically yeah. how card games were. And now there is no such thing as uh, not much interaction really. It's sort of a, I play out my combo, you, at any point you can stop me. If not, I just win. And that's the. It's the, kind of like, a, like you're playing solitaire, right? <laughs> yes. That's the, the whole point of uh, digital card games at this point. And I would say that it was in 2020, like you mentioned, from the start, from April all the way to. Actually, I would say April to August, right? Was the time which I really enjoyed. Runeterra. The meta was very fresh. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the thing that really got me into starting this podcast. Because the game yeah, at the time I, Runeterra was a different game. Yeah, I believe that was also the time I built the most decks. I built a lot of decks and uploaded to my YouTube channel. Yes, I remember you have a YouTube channel. Oh, that was the time, I believe, I just said. Yeah, built a lot of different decks. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing about the Runeterra thing which has changed because... Right now, it's more of a results-oriented game, really. It's no longer seen as a hobby or that kind, because you look at the thing, right? The moment they announced they announced the World Championships, it became like a double-edged sword. It really created a rift between the players who want to enjoy the game, stream the game, just have fun, compared with the players who want to 
achieve something in the game. They put in extra hours. They they don't mind playing the same deck for 1,000 games because they want to refine their overall strategy. And that was when yeah. I believe that if Riot were to move the game forward for Legends of Runeterra, they really have to find a divide between the casual player and the more competitive player. Because when you think about Runeterra as a whole, right, it is still a online game. It's still a mobile game. Because I do believe that a lot of players are playing it on their phones. And so for a mobile game, right, it will definitely need to have a more casual approach. Because if everything were to revolve around rank, revolve around how many times you spam Azir Aurelia, the players wouldn't even want to play the game at all. And that's why I believe yeah. that deck building is very important. Yeah. So the thing is that, okay, so we, let's move on to the third part of the podcast. Huh? I'd like to ask you, why does nobody build decks anymore? Is it because net, build, net decking is better than building decks overall? <laughs> oh well, it's like uh, since the beginning of time, net decking is almost always better than building your own decks. You know, that's even even for my YouTube channel, I uh, I recommend new players to net deck too. It's like if you want to build decks, the first thing is to copy other people's deck. It's as simple as that. Mm. It's because usually when we look at internet, because oh, we have so much resources right now, right? It's so easy to access on the information and stuff. People spend a lot of time, and it's just not one people. A lot of people spend a lot of time into refining a particular deck. So with me or you alone, it's very, very difficult to challenge the kind of uh, time invested into refining a particular deck, right? Yes. So that's why it's very, it's actually quite difficult to build decks to begin with. I'm not even saying about on current situation. To begin with building your own idea, making it works. Making it damn work, it's a very time-consuming and uh, a lot of effort you have to put into to make it work. But I do enjoy that. I do enjoy uh, expressing my own idea and creativity through deck building. As long as it can like uh, have a not too bad, like a decent win rate. I usually I'm very happy about my own decks. So right now, right, uh, the biggest problem right now it's like including all the recent patches, right? Like now 2.9, 2.8, 2.7 since the release of Shurima. Yeah, Shurima it's at the power level. The power level between meta and those underused cuts are just way too far apart. So when that happened, right, all the top tier decks, their, their power level is too strong. And then the tier 2, tier 3, everything, all, and all the other cuts that well, didn't see play, their power is way too low. You just have no choice. You have no choice but to play those really strong decks. Or you just have to get ready to lose like 8 or 9 out of 10 games. You feel? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so that's exactly what's happening right now. I, I, I've i tried. I'm still, before my uh, hiatus on this game, I still try to play a lot of different concepts, like including like Zillion, and I try a lot of Taria myself. Mm. But I actually, like recently, I actually lost every single one of my games against Irelia Azir. With all those underused cards. I see. Yeah, so so players found out that hey, um I really Azir, it's, it's actually <laughs> overpowered. So let's play more, you know, so we can win more. Simple as that. Yes. So the play rate of Irelia Azir skyrocketed super high. Fifty-five percent win rate it, plus twenty percent kill. play rate, man. What's that? Fifty-five percent win rate, twenty-eight percent play rate. It just yeah, tells you everything you right? It's like it it kills when when this happens. It kills a lot of creative deck building. You know, yeah, because they are too strong. It's like other than unless you you sit down and think, huh, 
what is a dedicated counters to that particular OP deck, which if you play dedicated counters, it will lose to other meta decks. There's still other like one or two really strong decks. That's like a story as old as time itself, man. It's, you want to try to build a counter, sure, the counter might work. But the evil comes down to the same thing. You might not draw what you need to be the counter to XYZ archetype, which is Azir Arela in a sense. And yeah. the best part is that Azir Arela doesn't need no counter. They just run their same yeah. strategy. They just look at you. Oh, <laughs> sure, you include 30 cards that counter me, but okay, if you don't get the right sequence, you still lose. And that's how polarizing yeah. the token attack concept is, especially for Azir Arelia. And if they draw their nuts, they're still going to win anyway. Correct, uh. Yeah, actually, you know, I, I've, I've noticed this phenomenon since uh, Trunda Lissandra became very popular. You know? Oh boy. Yeah, because that deck actually kill, killed a lot of that concept. I tried to build different decks, but they just kind of auto lose the Lissandra because I have no way to stop the uh, the Watcher combo. Correct. Okay, I got one yeah, question that, for you. Since we're on yep. TLC, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think that TLC has ended the entire control deck archetype? Because uh, almost, just because of Watcher, right, control decks don't work anymore. Yeah. I thought about this, you know, I was like, huh, how do I end that combo without like, oh, just just rush it down or whatever, you know? I was like, how do I face it? I was going to think about using like a dying with single combat, you know? <laughs> when the first uh, uh, ephemeral Watcher come down, I can use a single combat to kill it. And then the second zero cost Watcher come down, I can use like a... Was that uh, vengeance or whatever to kill it? Yeah. But it's uh, after I thought about this, huh? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Correct. <laughs> Let's not forget about fading yeah. memories as well. Yeah, they have they can just grin more and more and more. That's, that's like, the whole point, right? About the deck, it just makes control decks look like crap because TLC just runs TLC stuff. It's basically the same deck, right? From an Eva control all the way to uh, War Mother. And then to feel the yeah. rush. It's, the it's basically the same. They yeah. have War Mother into uh, Zombie Anivia. Mm, correct. Into the uh, Feel the Rush. Yes. But the thing is that all of them were slower and I would say a little bit more difficult to pilot. Yes, it was way more difficult to pilot. They kill you on turn 10. The Watcher kills you the moment the Watcher comes down because you can't draw a card. Yeah. It's like, uh, um, like, feel the rush, you need 12 mana. You actually need 12 mana. Yes. The War Mother, also 12 mana. What else? The uh, Anivia, you actually need to win until Harrowing and then you need to set up. You need your Anivia to die, you need a Rekindler mm. before that and then you need some board space and then for those modern, uh, really strong decks that usually doesn't require a lot of uh, investment into making a combo work. That's how the, the Watcher thing works, right? It's just Matron, copy it from your hand, you get a free copy, your opponent can't stop the ephemeral copy, the game just ends. Yeah, you don't even need to play it out, you know? As long as you, okay, let's see, you need a Lissandra, which is two mana. You have to play her and then let her level up and that's it. And yes. that's, that's, that's the investment. You know? Mm. Other than that, you just need some cards in your hand. You need a matron, and then yeah, you have watcher, and that's it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's as simple as that, man. Okay, yeah. let's go to the final part of the podcast. Okay, so for right. patch 2.9.0, that just came out about Thursday, which is, I think, a couple of days ago. 
everybody was expecting a mega patch. They was expecting TLC <laughs> to get hit, expecting Susan to get hit, aka Nasus Trash. <laughs> they were thinking that Uzi Arella definitely get hit. The deck is a what? 28% win rate, 55% win uh 28% play rate, 55% win rate. There's no yeah. way that these three decks are gonna escape the radar, right? No way, right? And boom. Guess what happened? <laughs> they get buffed. <laughs> yeah, they get buffed instead. And they didn't even question the uh Nasus Trash power levels. They never addressed yeah. the uh, the Watcher just ending the entire control deck concept. So what are your thoughts on patch 2.9.0, man? Alright, so my thought on uh, this patch, I actually gave it a really long thought about this question. It's like my view, and I also tweeted a very long uh, thread on Twitter as well. A lot of people saw it and shared it as well. Well, mm-hmm. I would say like um, this patch is a really, really good example how people misinterpreted data and statistic. Mm-hmm. Like for example, at for example, uh, you look at two different COVID vaccines, right? Yeah. Like, first one, A, shows 95, 90% effectiveness, B, shows 60%. And then most people jumped right in the conclusion, like saying, oh, of course, A is better than B, because more effectiveness, you know? Yeah. And, but, but that's wrong, because when you look at data, you need to look at a lot of variables into consideration. Like, like for example, in vaccine, you need to look at how how were they measured, the, the effectiveness, and which period was it developed, maybe which region was it used, right? You mm-hmm. have to look into a lot of things behind the data. So for now, patch 2.8 and 2.9, well, like the developers, they, they look at high play rates on Irelia Azir. They look at the data, oh, very high play rate. Yeah. And then they think that, oh, hey, this deck is popular. And why is that popular? I guess player must have enjoyed the deck. <laughs> yes, that's what they say. Oh, people have been enjoying the deck, right? Yes. And then when the play rate dropped, they thought that, hey, the deck is not that strong, right? Because the play rate dropped. And then you you player just need to learn how to play against it. And that's it. So now the win rate dropped all the way to 52% now. It was at a peak at 55 plus. Mm. So now it's at 52. Oh, 52 is not that high anymore. We don't have to change it anymore. Everything is fine. You know? I, I, I'm really not sure. Not sure how they did link high play rate into players enjoying the deck. They keep on saying players have been enjoying it. I look at the, the, their, their posters, their, their site and everything. I wonder, is that, did they make a poll or something? Like, did they talk to a huge number of players about what they feel about current meta? They, they read it on Reddit or something? A lot of people express, oh, this deck is fun. Did they do those? I don't if remember. they didn't do anything, you know, hey, look at the data, high play rate. I don't remember jump people, people saying yeah, yeah. that the deck is fun. <laughs> What's that? I don't remember people saying the deck was fun. Because if you I, think about I it, people either. are complaining about the deck, right? It's like, if you look at the data, and then you straight jump into conclusion. Yes. It's like, okay, high popularity means high play rate. Uh, high, high play rate means high popularity, sorry. So if they really did this without like doing a lot of researches, like communicate with the players, they they really, really messed up hard. They really deserve a huge criticism for the players. There's no excuse whatsoever. Yeah, that make re- that really makes a lot of sense because they're trying to link two things which don't really match, and then all of a sudden they're creating an argument and they decided not to hit the overall archetype at all. And <laughs> another part is that the TLC part, man. I always believe that until the watcher get hit, right, we will never see another control deck again. And that's very true. Because yeah. 
the watcher is just it, it ends the game on the spot it doesn't choke you out and slow you out like Anivia or like double 10 10 screw you the rush it just ends the game there because you can't draw anything maybe you can yeah. shuffle back your champion but you know what what's the likelihood of you having two copies of a champion one on the board and one in your hand that's the funny thing and that's why do, do you think that the watcher right is the is right now the, the gatekeeper to a lot of archetypes that want to come up mm. but cannot well, I can't, I can't say for sure because I don't play a lot of control decks myself. But as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, TLC is one of the is the deck that uh, stopped me from playing a lot recently. As I look at TLC, it hinders a lot of deck building choice. It's like okay, I guess I can't build decks now. I just have to wait for balance patch. I was low key like hoping, or not just hoping, is expecting some changes, some kind of balance changes to the deck. You know. It's like, huh, four eight cost units in order to make Watcher zero cost? Like, it's so easy to achieve. It's like, maybe make it five or maybe make it six or something, some other some other different conditions. I was hoping that, huh, they will change it for sure, right? But I waited and waited and waited. <laughs> Nothing changed, you know? Yeah, that's the thing about the Watcher, man. It just ends the game instantly. That's very infuriating for those players, right? Even though they are, I do know a lot of players, they play on mobile. They just want to have fun. In fact, there was one streamer right, who first played, who, who just played Runeterra. He never played the game before. He was sponsored to play the game. And during the time when he was playing uh, casuals, the normal mode, guess which was the deck he was facing all the time? I would say maybe Aurelia. Yes, he faced Azir Aurelia like 9 out of 10 games. And he was like, wow, <laughs> he lost every single game due to that deck. <laughs> and the chat went nuts. It was quite crazy. I can't remember the name of that streamer. But then someone went on Reddit went to talk about it and say that's basically why nobody from other games want to come over now. It's because imagine playing a deck for the first time, playing the game for the first time, and all you face are Azir Aurelia. You want to build a funny deck, you want to build like some some zombie deck, you want to build like a dragon deck, and you realize that your your that the deck you want to make right is nothing compared to Azir Aurelia. And that's why I would say right when new players want to join the game right, it's so it really get, keeps them from wanting to continue playing the game at all. Yeah. So that's why, I, that's why I said I have no idea how do they look at the data and then thought it is a good idea to not change anything like at all. Yeah, correct. And okay, another part. Nasu's Trash. What do you think, right? Okay, the thing about Nasu's Trash is that, right, I wouldn't call it a super overpowered deck. I wouldn't say that the Shadow House package is too powerful and everything. But the thing is that Nasu's Trash alone, right, polarizes and destroys every single mid-range deck and aggro deck. So basically, when you look at the meta, right, Azir Arela beats everything, almost everything. TLC beats or makes a lot of deck in basically right off the right off the, the deck. You can't even play it off because the Watcher just destroys the deck. You can't do anything, really. And then there's finally Nasu's Trash. It's the one deck which uh, beats everything, almost everything, that does not have harsh. And so when you think about Nasu's Trash, right, do you think Nasu's Trash is also one of the big reasons why the game is at the state it is right now? Mm, I'm not too sure about that because Nasus Trash didn't have a lot of popularity, pop, that much, I would say, that much popularity before Aurelia Azir came in, came into the picture. Correct. It has some kind of a... It, it was strong. It was definitely strong. Definitely tier one. But it becomes way stronger since uh, Aurelia Azir is on the picture because they get a lot of slay mechanic Correct. to all the tokens. And then Arena Isaiah has no way of stopping the uh, 
Trash coming summon summon the uh, Susan. <laughs> that's the style. Yes. So that's why it becomes so strong. So that's why I I, I just open the uh, meta tier list like, huh, let, let me look at meta meta tier list. What is it like? Oh of course. I really RZ on top, Nasus Trash also on top, and then TLC on top. <laughs> everything else is invisible. <laughs> yeah, everything else just won't work. It, it just won't work anymore. That's kind of sad. Yeah, that's the thing. And okay, one final question for today's podcast. What do you think Legends of Entire will be like after this year's World Championship? Do you think the game will become more of a deck builder's paradise, more of a creative kind of paradise? Or do you think it will carry on being the same game as it is today? Oh, when is the World Championship coming? September, man. Three more months. It totally depends on the trajectory of our developers. If they're still getting like totally out of touch with uh, the player base and their design choice is still think that uh, underplay cards doesn't necessarily need buff because even we buff them, they are still underplayed anyway. They actually said this, you know? Mm. Yeah, like if they still think this and then even with all the promises, they say they're going to make big changes from patch in uh, 2.11. If they're still repeating, they still don't learn anything from this incident. Uh, this game is going to be alive or dead, I think it just depends on this three months. It's not about the World Championship, but this three months of development. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you and when you think about it also, right, the the overall thing about the World Championship and all this, it becomes more of a competitor's kind of game. And and the, the best part about the game is that, right, the viewership is not rising. I'm looking at Twitch. Yeah. The viewership is not rising. When you talk about streaming the game, I still think you realize this. It's always the same people that have been watching you since probably day one all the way until maybe day 150. These are the players. Eventually, maybe through the weeks, one or two viewers join, join, join here. You have a consistent number of people watching. And then, here's the funny thing about Runeterra is that the community is so small, number of people are streaming are so small, that the, the viewers amongst all the, all the streamers who are playing the game, who are watching the game, you see him on another person's stream and you see him on your stream. It's no longer <laughs> like you discovering new people watching your game. So it feels that mm. the game, right, has a lot of areas they have to tackle. First is, no one's watching. Second is, the game state as it is. And the third part is that they're engaging a lot of people to do like, uh, they pay people to play the game, the sponsored uh, Runeterra streamers. And so as a game, right, yeah. do you think that will change? Uh, I think first thing we have to accept that uh, collectible card game is still considered a really, really niche genre to begin with. Mm. so it's very difficult it's very difficult to expect that oh this game is going to be good because uh, like you're going to attract a lot of eyeballs because this game is good a lot of players are playing it first thing is that this game uh, card game is niche right yeah so it's very difficult to attract a wider bigger audience second thing is that uh, the game itself is quite complex compared to competitors like Hearthstone it's very easy to understand you know yeah so if it's complex, it will always, always hinder some uh, casual players and viewers. Mm, that's very true. And the third part, the last part, which is the passion of the content creators themselves, like including me. If the game state is terrible, it's it's not fun, it's unfresh, then our passion towards the game is going to be very low. We won't spread the kind of uh, uh, influences to other players other people to try to play the game. Okay. Okay, well, you just mentioned about Hearthstone, right? I, the thing about Hearthstone is that I used to play it a long time ago, around 
seven, eight years ago. And the thing about Hearthstone is that, right, as a game, right, it got a lot of viewers, eh, even though it was a card game. And when I compare the first six months of Hearthstone versus uh, Legends of Runeterra, right, it's really damn different, eh. Because the first six months of Hearthstone, right, the number of viewers, like, it was skyrocket. It became like 10k, 20k, 100k concurrent watchers of, on every stream. And then for Runeterra, right. right, it just sort of uh, 10,000, and then it dropped to 6,000, it dropped to 4,000, and now we are sitting at 1,000 daily at most. If a popular <laughs> streamer online, 2,000. And this yep. is a very funny thing. Hearthstone all the way up, Runeterra all the way down. I, I really can't find a way to explain it. What, what do you think is the big reason why? A couple of reasons. First thing is that uh, it's always because of the company itself. Blizzard is, was very, very famous, isn't it? Like yeah, Warcraft, Warcraft 3, Starcraft. So when they announce they want to make a card game, of course, it's going to be very, very famous, right? And then second, of course, is because they were early. Ah. They were early into the genre before uh, like a lot of people tried to make Another kind, another kind of uh, what we said, the Hearthstone copy now because they were early correct, into the market. That's why it was fresh. It's and the then, f- lastly, uh, yeah. the game itself is designed, like purposely designed, to cater for casual players. You see, any kind of a game, any kind of games that with a lot of RNG, you know, randomness involved, it will always cater more for casual players. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you mean. Because it's like Hearthstone is yeah. basically like this, what, an RNG festival, you know? <laughs> Everyone loves Everything it. Everything What's that? Everyone loves the RNG. When they see it happen, they like, they'll spam the Twitch chat. Yeah, that's why it's, um, it's good for viewers because it's, it's kind of fun in a way. And then it's also a little bit good for casual players because no matter how good you are, you always have a chance to lose to a, a new player or casual player because of RNG. So that's why it attracts a lot, a lot of casual players. Mm. So for games like uh, like after Hearthstone, we have uh, Shadowverse, which I played a lot of Shadowverse before, ah. and into Artifact, into uh, Legends of Runeterra. Shadowverse and Legends of Runeterra has one thing in common, which they nearly don't have any RNG in the in the game cut the the game itself, other than cut draw, of course. Yeah, you know. So I'd say that's the main reason. Yeah, I, I really agree with you on the point about the casual game. Because one of the reasons why I stopped playing Hearthstone was in 2014. That was the time where I did play competitive for Hearthstone for six months. I gave myself six months because I was going to enlist for National Service, which is the national conscription for all males in Singapore. I gave mm-hmm. myself a time period. And after six months, right, after I finished my last tournament, I told myself that I would never ever play another card game. Okay, the funny thing is that I'm playing Runeterra <laughs> now. I told myself, this is the end, I don't want to play another card game because I don't want to come back and go through the same grind, you know, go through the, go through the legend rank, and now it's master rank, go through the same yeah. process. It's just rinse and repeat the same games because the passion of me building decks, right, or like having fun was really gone. Because when, the, the thing about playing competitive and all that, right, is that it saps the fun out of everything. It's very true when someone says you cannot make your passion become your job. It's something along <laughs> that line. So the moment you try to turn something into competitive, right, the, the fun is just sapped out. You cannot really have fun again. And that's why I look at card games very differently from most people nowadays. When I see people going through their, their first cycle, which is the first cycle of them playing Runeterra as their first card game, I can initially see the spark. Like the players, very, they are very enthusiastic. They want to achieve something. But here I am, looking at them from a lens, from, I got, they already got this experience 10 years ago. I just look at them and I'm thinking, 
oh boy, you guys are going to go through the same cycle as me. You're going to become very <laughs> jaded at the end. And so I just keep quiet and let them carry on. I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them like support, advice, like tell them keep your head up high, carry on playing. You'll eventually achieve it. But the thing is that I do not want to tell them, right? When you, when you achieve something, right? Then there will always be a feeling in your heart, right? Which cannot be replaced. Is that no matter how much you achieve, right? You want to go through another game, right? You have to go through the same cycle and it gets really, really very tiring. And that's why for Hearthstone, <laughs> right? I, I told myself I'll not come back to another card game. The big reason is because, right, I saw Hearthstone becoming more casual. And because when it become more casual, right, there'll be more viewers. And so I just told myself, no more. And I was right. I was in national service. I was serving my time. And all I saw was the game skyrocketing. There were suddenly so many personalities. There were so many streamers out of nowhere. Anybody who was entertaining, who was very... Found, found a new way to innovate. It's basically disguise those. You find a new way to create content. You find a new way to stream. They could become tier one or become like top streamer. While while when you look at other card games like Runeterra now, you need to be good. If you're not good, right, no one's gonna watch you. For Hearthstone, right, there's still a chance you can be super casual, super entertaining, and people will watch. And that's why I say that I think we both agree that for Runeterra, right, they really have to pick a pick a side of the coin. Either they are going towards more, more uh less RNG, more competitive. Basically, rinse and repeat. You you play the same deck thousand times. Or you go a more casual approach. You really small RNG cards like Yorkseron and all that. <laughs> babbling <both. laughs> so Oh, I was strongly point. against that kind of a development. Yeah, man. I was also Please don't do that. <laughs> but it gets the viewers, right? You, you can't disagree about that. Of course, of course. It's just but you need, you need to. You always, whenever you're doing a business, you always need to understand your audience. Like, Hearthstone understand your audience are always for casuals, you know? Yeah, but the core of Rintera is different. The core of Rintera is supposed to make it a little bit more skill-intensive. Yeah, Rintera is quite skill-intensive right, when you think about it. It requires a lot of uh, micro-decisions which ultimately impact the entire macro-scape of the entire game. Yeah. Alright, man. Hey, do you have any questions for me? Uh, not entirely. If I have any questions, I'll PM you. <laughs> okay, no problem, man. Hey, thanks so much for joining me in today's podcast, bro. It's my pleasure. Yeah, and if you guys want to check out more of Catty-Y's stuff, I'll link all his uh his Twitter, his stream, his YouTube channel, everything in the description box, which includes yeah his YouTube channel, his Twitch stream, and all that. Hopefully, one day Catty will be back to playing Runeterra again. Can you can you guys <laughs> can you give me a date that you'll be back next match? I'll be back. I'll be back soon enough. <laughs> hey, come on, man! Play seasonals, man. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Go, go to grind, uh, grind a bit of rank, get through some gauntlet, and I think you're good to go. Uh, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay, man. Okay, no problem, man. Alright, guys. That's all I have for today's episode. Thank you so much to Cathy Y for joining me today. That's all I have for today. I'll see you guys next week, man. And that's game. Bye.